is uh, Will Duvall, I'm the associate pastor here, and uh, it's so, so great to have you with us. Um, please do drop your, your name and your info in that um, offering plate as it goes around. As Taylor said, we'd love to officially welcome you to West Hills. Um, you are joining us, if you're new, in a unique season in the life of our church. Um, three weeks from today, our lead pastor, Gary Brooks, will be preaching his last sermon uh, here at West Hills after almost 30 years of faithful gospel ministry here. And so as we are preparing ourselves collectively for that transition and, um, and for my transition into the lead pastor role here, we have been um, spending the last two weeks, we're going to spend the next two weeks in a four-part series uh, entitled DTR, Defining the Relationship, specifically between the church and its pastor. And so um, we're going to do that both to help uh, us celebrate um, Gary's uh, faithful ministry here throughout the years and all that he's meant to this church, but also so that you and I can sort of think through together and process and enter into this new phase of our relationship together um, with eyes wide open about what you should be expecting of me as your pastor, as well as what I should expect from you as your church. And that's what we're, where we're parking this morning. And so... Um, most importantly of all, uh, then, then either of those two expectations are God's expectations, of course, what God expects for and f- from us um, in our relationship. And so that's where we're going to turn this morning. We'll turn to his word in just a moment. Um, last week, uh, we were in Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23, because the word pastor means shepherd, and uh, because the primary metaphor throughout Scripture for spiritual leadership of God's people is shepherd. Shepherding, And so we examine together the quintessential passage on shepherding, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And uh, we pulled out seven qualities of a good pastor uh, who patterns his own shepherding after God's own perfect example outlined in that psalm. A pastor provides, he leads, he restores, he exhorts, comforts, calls, and blesses his church. And most importantly, we ended last week where we begin and where we should always begin and end as, as the church with the gospel. The good news that God loves his people so much that he places the bar, the expectations on those that lead his people so high that even the best pastor will never measure up. The best human under shepherd of God's flock will, will inevitably fail you and fall short. And yet the good news God gives us in his word as, as far back as Ezekiel in the Old Testament, as that God himself promises, behold, I myself will shepherd my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And the good news is that God has already made good on that promise in the person of Jesus the great shepherd, Hebrews 13, the shepherd and overseer of our souls, 1 Peter 2, the good shepherd who laid down his life for us, his flock, John 10. And so by entrusting our lives to him and to his good shepherding, we can be led not only into green pastures and beside still waters, into rest and provision and restoration in this life, but we can be led into restored relationship an eternal life with God, our Heavenly Father, in paradise for all eternity. 
So we don't want to lose sight of that this morning. This morning we're going to be focusing mainly on this horizontal relationship between you and I, but that is always rooted and grounded in our more important vertical relationship. That is primary because it is because of His great love for us and for all of us collectively that God calls us to love one another as well. Jesus says people will know us, will know that we belong to Him by our love for God. We will prove it in our love for one another. That's John 13, 35. And so last week we, we discussed those seven ways I'm called to demonstrate that for you as a pastor. This morning we're going to explore eight ways that you're called as the church to love and support me as the church. And that's right, you get an extra way to support me because there's only one of me and I need extra support. So we will, uh, we'll be jumping around all over the New Testament this morning in particular, um, not just kind of camping out in one key passage like last week and like usual here at West Hills. We normally um, we, we subscribe to expository preaching and we're going to take a text and we're going to just explicate, explicate what it says. Um, this morning it will be a bit more topical because God just has so much to say in his word about uh, what the church um, can do to support her leaders, her pastor. And so we're going to try to get to all of it. Um, and, and again, just to remind, this is not just what the church is called to do and to be in general. This is what the church is called to do and to be for her pastor. And so it's about this relationship. So I want to open our study together in prayer and then we'll dive in. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our good shepherd, uh, that when I as a pastor, when we as elders and leaders of the church, uh, when we as your flock, when we as sheep go astray and turn everyone to our own ways, that you have already, in your mercy and your kindness and goodness, looked down, loved us, forgiven us, placed on him the iniquity of us all, on Jesus, our great shepherd, overseer of our souls. And so, Father, we pray this morning you would help us to submit ourselves to your word, to your leading, to your good shepherding more as we seek to understand what it is that you're calling um, the church to in regard to um, supporting the pastor and, and ultimately um, in supporting your ministry, your kingdom uh, coming here on earth. We pray that we would be that kind of church. Thank you, Father. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I need you to do is um, to write in your bulletins for me. Right underneath the, the title for the morning, would you write in there, I support my pastor through my... Would you write that phrase in? So I had to send the bulletins to print before I had this completely outlined, I support my pastor through my. And I have, I'm going to give you eight, eight ways to support your pastor, as I said, um, and I've organized these to a certain extent in terms, in order of how difficult I think that each of these uh, ways is for, for the church typically to, to support the pastor. So number one, bullet point number one here, the easiest and first way that you should support me as your pastor is through prayer. It's always got to start with prayer. That's a no-brainer. You've got to be praying for me as your pastor. Hebrews 13, 18 exhorts the church, pray for us 
That's your leaders we hear in, in the previous verse. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So there's two things there that are clear about how the church is called to pray for its leaders. Number one, you pray for your pastor's conscience, for his character. So the author of Hebrews ties prayer here to the leader's integrity. And as we saw last week, pastoring really is more about who you are than what you can do. So the church, you, you all must be praying for me, for my heart, for my character, for my conscience. And secondly, you are called to pray for your pastor's relationships. Uh, the author of Hebrews here encourages them to pray that he would be restored to them, that he'd be freed up to come back and to visit with them and to shepherd them once again. Something is preventing him from doing that. We're not sure what it is. We're not even sure who he is uh, in context here, Hebrews. Um, but what we are sure of, the takeaway for us, is that the people of God are called to pray over the pastor's relationships with his people, to recognize that God has appointed this person to, to shepherd over God's flock, this invaluable important leading caregiving role and you want him to succeed in that in those relationships and so you're going to pray to that end first timothy 2 paul says i urge that supplications prayers intercessions thanksgivings be made for all people but then he specifically highlights and focuses in on for kings and all in high positions why does he do that i think because paul understands that there there are some who will be appointed to especially influential roles in people's lives. God, God ordains, sovereignly directs that. And in general, that means that those people are going to have more influence and impact over, over people's lives than others do, Romans 13. And so later in that same passage, 1 Timothy 2, Paul, Paul says in verse 4, he specifically ties his call to prayer to God's desire for all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so Paul recognizes that God uses us, uses people to reach others with the good news of Jesus. And so the greater your scope of influence, then the greater your potential for evangelism. And that's why Paul urges us especially to pray for our leaders, our secular, secular leaders. He mentions kings, our, our kings, our presidents, Congress, Hollywood, musicians, athletes, the media. For better or worse, those are our society's people influencers. Those are our society's thought leaders. Can you imagine if the gospel broke out in the hearts of those in our culture who are the movers and shakers in, in Congress, in the media, in these high positions? We ought to be praying for that, but we also pray for that to happen in the lives of our spiritual leaders too for re revival, renewal in, in, in my heart, in my character, those who have direct spiritual influence over people's lives week in and week out from the pulpit. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, he, he desires a noble task. He desires a high position of spiritual influence. And so we need to pray especially for those people for your elders, for your pastor, for our staff, for Scott and Allie and Donnie, for those, especially those leaders who are, who are influencing our young people, the next generation of leaders, the next generation of thought leaders and people influencers. Pray for them. Ephesians 6, Paul charges, keep alert, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And so brothers and sisters, I 
urge you, I invite you, I beg you to do the same for me. I need your prayers. I need your prayers. The second way you can support me as your pastor, number two, is through your judgment, your accountability. And I bet you didn't see that one coming. Your, your pastor calling you to, to judge him, to hold him accountable. But let's look at the scripture. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So we typically interpret judgment here as coming from God. And I don't think that's wrong. In fact, last, last week I referenced this same verse and I interpreted it in that way. And, I, and, and my belief as your pastor that one day I will stand before the throne of the Lord Almighty and I will give an account for the way that I have shepherded each of your souls. But if we read the rest of this James 3 passage in context, I think that James may not be just um, limiting himself to that one narrow interpretation because he goes on to say, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And so it appears as though, to me, James is cautioning these churches to recognize that we're all human, we're all sinful, even your pastor, even those called to these high uh, positions of spiritual leadership, teaching and preaching, unless he's a perfect man, James says, he will at some point stumble in what he says, even from the pulpit. James 3 leaves no room for, for any false doctrine of pastoral infallibility, even from the pulpit. And especially when one is teaching from the pulpit and when he's actively functioning in a role of interpreter of God's word for God's people, of feeding the flock, in these contexts, I ought to expect to be judged by you, to be held accountable for the words that I'm using by the church. That's, that's why roughly a quarter of the New Testament epistles are devoted to warnings against false teaching because the church is absolutely charged with being extra diligent and discerning about what is being publicly proclaimed from her pulpit and, and, and from God's word. And so as a quick aside and a, and a plug to this, I want to tell you, uh, Polly and I watched this past week, uh, the documentary just came out called American Gospel. If you haven't seen it yet, you need to. Um, it's $5 to rent, $15 to buy on Amazon Prime. Um, it's worth every penny. If you want to hold off on it, I want to screen it for us as a church and actually discuss it as a church together, Amer American Gospel. But I'm saying it now out loud so you can hold me accountable for it and remind me, and we can actually do that. So, um, but I want to tell you, friends, even more than hearing after a sermon, great message, Pastor, what I love hearing from you is, hey, so I've got a question about one of your points. Or even, I'm not, I'm not sure about one of those examples you used. Why do I love hearing that? Because it means you are critically engaging with what you're hearing, with the message. You're not just letting it passively wash over you. You are taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, including my own thoughts. You are testing the spirits, 1 John 4, 1, to see whether they are from God, because you know how prone to wander even a shepherd's heart can be. And that I will stumble in my ways, as James says, so I need you to hold me accountable for my teaching and judge my words with strictness, to be wise as serpents, to be prayerful and discerning. Listen, I love the Jody Grosses of our congregation who nod along enthusiastically to every point. I miss the Just Mary Ann's and her amens and hallelujahs throughout the sermon. I, I love that. 
But I also love, where are you, Marshall? The Marshall Henleys. Uh, where's Dan Hebert? I love, I love those of you who kind of sit here like this. <laughs> you know, kind of the President Trump look on your face throughout the whole sermon. Because you're, you, I know that you are, you are testing every word. You're weighing every single word I use carefully. And it forces me as a preacher to weigh my own words, to measure my own words and use them carefully. 1 Timothy 5, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. So even elders and pastors are called to receive your rebuke when it's necessary. 1 Corinthians 5.12, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? We judge those inside the church, especially her leaders, because we want to hold one another accountable for pursuing godliness and preaching the truth. Amen? Third, the third thing you can do to support me as a counterbalance to point number two, not contradictory, but, but a balance, is to, res- is to pay with your respect. You support me through your respect. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 12 and 13, Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. What does that mean? What does it mean to respect your pastor, to esteem him very highly in love? Well, I think it means that while you are discerning and judicious, you, and you don't just take what the pastor says, even from the pulpit, for granted, for gospel truth, without testing it for yourself, without holding it up against the witness of Scripture for yourself. I think respect does, however, mean that you seek first to understand your pastor before you criticize him. That you're not constantly waiting for an opportunity to pounce in and correct and, and, and to, to condemn. It means you assume the best about his motives, his intentions, you, you give me the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because hopefully I've proven my respectfulness. I've earned your respect over time through my sound teaching, through my, my caregiving, my, my, my proven shepherd, shepherd's heart for this flock. Points number two and three are not at odds with one another. In Acts 17, Luke actually commends the Jewish converts in the town of Berea for paying Paul and Silas the respect of carefully listening to and critically engaging with their their teaching. He says these Jews were noble. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so regardless of who's in the pulpit, and and frankly, regardless of whether I'm bringing my A game this morning or I'm a little off and and I kind of drone on, if I'm opening the scriptures for you, if the, if the preacher is interpreting God's word for you, then that alone, that very act, deserves your undivided attention and respect. Once we get the heat working, and it warms up, right? And in the summer, when the AC breaks, and it's too warm, and you're, you just want to doze, and you want to drift, Right? God's word deserves our undivided attention and respect. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about falling asleep in church every once in a while, but maybe, maybe I am. Maybe I am. <laughs> Everybody nudge your, your neighbor awake this morning. Nudge them awake. They need to hear this. A while, a, a while back, Polly and I were disagreeing about something late at night. Don't even remember what it was now. It felt really important at the moment, as all fights do. And 
We went on well, well into the night. We tried to go to bed at 10 o'clock. This was after midnight now. We finally got to the point in the discussion where we're starting to get past sort of the presenting issue to like the real issue. And I was starting to realize, okay, this is why I'm actually upset with you. And so I started to open up about my feelings and my insecurities and my fears. I went on for a few minutes and I paused to give her a chance to respond. You know where it's going. (laughs) And I heard, what? Sorry. Oh, I think I, I think I just, and I just, of course, not, maybe not of course, I'm not very gracious, but I lost it. Um, like, are you kidding me? I'm pouring my heart out to you and you're snoozing. So then we had to have a whole other conversation about how disrespected I felt. But here's the thing. Um, I want you to respect me. I want to earn your respect as your pastor. I want to prove myself worthy of that. But I think of, you know, like the office of the presidency and how we talk about respecting the office, regardless of who's in it and what you think of him. And gosh, how much more so in a role like pastor, like preacher, proclaimer of God's word. Pay attention to God's word. If you don't pay attention to me, pay attention to God's word. You should come here every Sunday, and you should wake up every morning of the week for your own personal, daily devotional, daily time in God's Word, ready to receive the Word with all eagerness like the Bereans, prepared to examine the Scriptures daily for yourself. That is the respect that we owe God's Word. Amen? Point number four. Cards on the table. I really do need your support through your encouragement. Hebrews 13, 24 calls on the church to greet all your leaders and all the saints. Uh, but the Greek, the Greek term for greet there, aspadzomai, conveys more than just a handshake. Um, it really conveys a connotation of welcoming, of receiving joyfully, of wishing well to, of embracing. It's a term of endearment, of warmth. Scripture calls us to greet and encourage, literally to put courage into your leaders, to hearten them, to embolden them, strengthen them. How do you do that? Got a couple of ideas for us. Galatians 6 6. Paul says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Most often now, that's that's interpreted as financial support. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But for now, Paul just says, Share all good things with your pastor. Anything good. Anything good. So we've all heard the saying if you don't have anything nice to say, Don't say anything at all, right? Paul restates that positively here. He says, if you do have anything nice to say, you should always say it. Don't withhold it. If there's any way that you could encourage your leaders, your your, your pastors, any good things worth sharing, do it. Share it. Like what? Like stories of life change. I'll give some examples. I can think of a few occasions where one of you has come up to me uh, in, in the days or weeks after a message. You've told me, Man, I just want to thank you, Pastor, for that sermon. My brother and I, we hadn't talked to, to one another in years. Or my wife and I, we were going through a really rough patch. Or I've been praying about this decision I needed to make. And something you said in that message pointed me back to God's truth, convicted me, helped clarify things for me. And here's how he's used it in my life since then. 
Those are the kinds of stories that are so encouraging. The good things you ought to share with me. I want to hear about that as your pastor. That's the stuff that will keep me going when, when it gets tough, when I'm tempted to believe the enemy's lies that my hard work doesn't really matter, doesn't really pay off. That I can't possibly hope to be effective in combating the barrage of the world's influences in your life from Monday through Saturday with a 45-minute message on Sunday. I will be tempted to believe that lie. It has to be, those kinds of lies have to be killed by the encouragement of the church and real life change. I think of the five love languages, words of affirmation, physical touch. I'm a physical touch guy. You can give me hugs of encouragement. I always score lowest on receiving gifts, but the word on the street is a few years back, West Hills sent um, Gary and Jenny to Hawaii on sabbatical, and I'm just saying I wouldn't turn that down. <laughs> I know you're, uh, you're thinking, yeah, talk to us when you've been here for 30 years. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, first, first Thessalonians 5.11 calls us to encourage one another and to build one another up in the Lord. And friends, your pastor needs that too, maybe especially. Most of you may never in your life stand up and share difficult, vulnerable, embarrassing, self-deprecating, incredibly personal stories with a room full of 200 people, some of whom you haven't even met yet. I do it every week. I'm putting my heart out there for you all, week in and week out, to model for you the kind of personal engagement with, conviction from, and application of God's Word. And that is not always easy. But I can tell you, your encouragement means the world to me. And I'll just quickly mention one last form of encouragement here, imitation. Hebrews uh, 13.7 exhorts us, remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I've got to tell you, I cannot imagine anything more encouraging as a leader than being imitated by someone. I imagine that some pastors out there, they dream of launching that new campus. They, they sit around, they dream of writing the next big best-selling book in the Christian world. I dream about the day that someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, I've been observing the way you live your life, the way you, you husband your wife, the way you, you parent, father, your daughter, the way you walk out your faith and your actions, the way you love people, serve people, actively, effectively evangelize and disciple people. I'm thinking I'd like to be that kind of father, that kind of husband, that kind of leader one day, that kind of follower of Christ. Would you consider mentoring me? That's it for me. That's why I do this. That's my dream. Number five, the fifth way that you support your pastor is through giving your financial support. It's through your giving. Jesus directs his disciples in Luke ten seven. when you go through the countryside ministering to people in my name, he says, remain in the house, eating and drinking what they provide. Why? Because the laborer deserves his wages. Paul reiterates this in 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, don't muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. The ox, so the ox deserves to eat some of the crop while it's out there working hard to harvest. 
and the laborer deserves his wages. And once again in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, when inexplicably the Corinthian church has somehow decided to financially support some of the apostles who didn't write half the New Testament, but they are withholding their financial support from the apostle Paul. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink as do the other apostles? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working as a living? Who serves, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating some of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much to ask that we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more so? The Lord commanded, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That's what scripture tells us. So let me just say this, because I know stewardship sermons can get tricky, if this is not a church, and if, this, and if I am not a pastor, who you can in good conscience, and I will go beyond that to say, who you can delight in, because we know the Lord loves a, what kind of giver? Cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9. Who you can cheerfully support with your giving. If you can't get excited to drop that check in the offering plate at West Hills, knowing in full confidence the powerful, life-changing gospel ministry you just helped make happen, then either one of two things is going on. Either, number one, that's a discipleship issue, in which case you need to pray and ask for the Lord to work on your heart, and you wouldn't be excited about giving to any church. And so you need to just pray and ask God to give you a vision and a heart to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, to make that your priority, to hunger and thirst and seek first his righteousness and then let the other things be added to you. And I'm not talking about those, I'm not talking about those who, who face real financial struggles and difficulties right now. Because here's the thing, you can be a fearful giver and still be a cheerful giver. But you cannot be a cheerful giver and be an apathetic giver at the same time. Or worse, be a disinclined giver. Be a reluctant giver. Be an obligatory giver. If you're giving out of just some blind sense of religious obligation, that is, that is mutually exclusive with what the Lord calls us to. So it's either that. It's either, number one, a discipleship issue, which will happen at any church, so you just need to stay here and pray. Or, number two... It's really a church issue where you would say, you know what, I'm just not sure that I believe in the ministry of this church. I'm not sure that I believe in how they're spending my money, God's money that I've been entrusted to steward. I'm not sure I can get behind that pastor shepherding and preaching and leading. In which case, I would humbly and somewhat reluctantly, but with a strong sense of biblical conviction about it, encourage you to go find a church that you can joyfully support with your time, talent, and your treasure. If it is not West Hills, listen, there are plenty of good gospel-centered churches in our city. Heck, I will be, who is it, uh, Scott, is it progressive that gives you the competitor's quotes? I will be, I will be pro progressive for you. I, I know most of those pastors. I'll connect you with them. I'll give you their addresses. Because we want people to believe in their church. 
We want them to believe in their pastors. I don't want to have to twist your arms and beg you. I don't want to have to do steward. Nobody likes stewardship sermons, least of all me. I don't want to have to do them every year. I don't have to twist your arms like the poor Apostle Paul. If you can't do it cheerfully, then don't give. We want you to be excited to be a part of what God is doing in this body of believers at West Hills because he's doing exciting things. And if we're not doing a good enough job of showcasing it, of letting you in on on the life change and of all the, the amazing ways that God is using and blessing the ministry that we're doing here, then that's our fault, and you need to just you know, let us know that, and we will try and do a better job of highlighting those things because God is doing amazing things worth celebrating and supporting here at West Hills. Number six, the sixth way you can support me as your pastor is through serving. So you give, you serve, your ministry, serving actively. Remember Ephesians 4, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? Why did he give them? Was it to do all the ministry themselves? No. He appointed these leaders over churches, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. You support me by doing your job. You do ministry so that I can do my job, which is to equip you to do ministry, to to, to train you, teach you, uh, raise you up in that, support you in that. I am preparing to be the solo pastor here, but I cannot be the solo minister. That model won't work. There's too many needs, too many needs to be met. It'll burn me out, and more importantly, it will cheat you out of a chance to play your part in the body of Christ. The way that God has uniquely wired you, your spiritual giftedness, 1 Corinthians 12, to serve and support and minister to others. I'm not going to cheat you out of that. And so I'll just tell you, and I, and I hope, kind of a, a, an aside here a little bit, I, I hope that this encouragement on my part doesn't take the edge off of Scripture's exhortation for us this morning. Because, listen, I know that we have people at West Hills Um, who need to hear this message. I know that we have people here who aren't serving anywhere in the church right now, and you really should be. You need that kick in the butt. You're not, maybe you're not giving financially, and you need to be, or you're not giving enough, and you need to be, and you need this kick in the butt. So I don't want to take the edge off of that. I know you're out there, and yet I do at the same time want to acknowledge publicly for everyone that West Hills, I mean, we score off the charts in pretty much all these categories. I've been a part, and I know some of y'all have been, and there's a reason you landed here and you've stayed here. I mean, we score off the charts in, 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 in most of these ways. You guys, I, I, I almost feel bad, you know, preaching and, and asking for more from you in, in, in the way of encouragement and giving and serving and, and prayer and all of that, because I know you already do it. You're so good to us as, as your leaders, as your pastors in these ways. A church like this is so rare. That's why I want to be your pastor. That's why I'm excited about this, this new relationship that we're entering into. I, I don't think I have it in me. I don't think I'm strong enough to pastor a fixer-upper. to to do a major overhaul, renovation job. I don't think I have that in me. And so I'm I'm so grateful to be entering into ministry 
in a church that is already so overwhelmingly supportive of its leaders. And so I just want to take a moment to simply encourage you in that, to express my gratitude for that as your pastor for all the ways you already support me so well. And to just simply ask you and encourage you to keep doing it. Keep on keeping on, please. Number seven, point seven of eight here. Number seven, you support your pastor through your submission. Now, now we get to the fun stuff. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. 1 Peter 5, Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, for God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. You know, it really is sad in the, in the, in the church of all places that I feel like I have to offer an apologetic, a defense Every time I quote the Bible in this concept of submission, and it crops up, whether it's a wife submitting to her husband, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, or submitting to human institutions and governance, Romans 13 and Hebrews, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, or submission here that we find in, in uh, 1 Peter 5 and Hebrews 13 of submitting to church leaders. It's sad that we have to apologize because as Christians, we of all people should know firsthand and personally the joys and the freedom of submitting to the right kind of authority. Because by definition, if you're a believer, you have made it to the point in your life where you realized you are not a very good authority unto yourself. And you've tried living life as your own authority and failed time and time again, following your heart like the world tells you to, submitting to your own whims and desires, and you got sick of the emptiness and the shallowness and the loneliness of that kind of self-centered existence. And at some point, someone somewhere along the way introduced you to this guy, Jesus, who sounded like the kind of guy who might just be worth submitting to. And you tried following him for a change, and since then you have experienced firsthand the joys of submitting to godly leadership, to good shepherding. We as Christians of all people should get that. Preaching to the church about submission should be preaching to the choir, as they say. Because leaders of the church should lead so far above reproach should follow so closely in Christ's own example of selfless servant leadership that the church says, who wouldn't want to follow these guys? A pastor like that. Man, I think back to my sermon from last week and the role of a shepherd pastor. You should say, let me get this straight. You want to provide for me. You want to lead me away from danger into green pastures. You want to restore my soul when I feel broken inside. You want to help gently correct me when I'm veering off the, the straight and narrow path that leads to those green pastures. You want to comfort me through, through this life's dark uh, shadows of valleys of death. You want to call me on to greatness in Christ because you believe in me and you want to be a blessing to me? That's, that's what you're asking me to submit to? Okay, I mean, I'll sign up for that. That sounds more like serving to me, like you're going to be a servant than a leader, but I'll get on board. I'll submit to that. But in a day and age, when I try and pull a sermon example on this point, and I go on CNN.com to search for an article I read recently about church sexual abuse 
And I have to comb over 14 articles in the last two weeks on church sexual abuse to try and find the right one. I am reminded again of why we have to spend so much time on this idea of submission in the church. Because as leaders of the church, we have all but ruined the concept of submission. And I shudder to imagine some of these church leaders that we hear about in the news that are going to have to stand before the throne of the Lord and give an account for that kind of shepherding. That is beyond abhorrent. So it's no wonder that we don't like to talk about submission in the church. And so rather on on this point than try and convince you and sell you on submitting to me or submitting to your elders at West Hills, I will simply stick with the whole action, speak louder than words theme, and I will invite you, as Paul does in 2 Timothy 3, to observe my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Observe and test for yourself and see whether or not me as a pastor, these elders at West Hills are the kind of men that are worth submitting to, worth entrusting with that kind of high, high calling of overseeing your souls, Hebrews 13. And number eight, insofar, lastly, as we are those kinds of godly men for you, and I am that kind of pastor for you, then you can support me by accepting help. I save this one for last because I think it's the hardest for most of us to accept help from others. But James 5.14 asks, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call them for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Scripture commands you to let your leaders help you when you're struggling. And I think God has to make it a command for us because we're so bad at it. We are so reluctant to receive help from people. We want to be pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps kind of people. But friends, let's just, can we just name that for what it is this morning? That's pride. That's pride. Again, by definition of the fact that you've come to Christ, you have already admitted you don't have bootstraps. They're not there for you to pull on. We all need help sometimes. Trust me, I am your pastor, and I am going to need plenty of help from you. In all of these eight ways, at various times over over the next few years, I am going to need your help, your support. So don't deprive me reciprocally. Don't deprive me of the blessing of being able to help you. That is a blessing. God designed us to to experience personal joy from helping others. Don't deprive me of that. Because here's the bigger issue. That same impulse that keeps us from accepting help from others, that pride, is the very same thing that keeps us from accepting help from God. That's the bigger thing. I, I I think that's why if in if in our pride we can't help accept accept help from one another, then we probably won't accept it from God either. Right? If we've hardened our heart and our own pride, I don't need, I can do this on my own. If we won't accept it from others, we won't accept it from him. That's the real danger. I think God allows us to go through difficulties in life to remind us of just how dependent we are, yes, on each other, 
on good pastors, on shepherds, but most importantly on him. He gives us these horizontal relationships to prime us and remind us and bring us back to the vertical, the, the, shepherd, the ultimate good shepherd that we really need, the ultimate dependency that we have on him. So eight ways, prayer, accountability, respect, encouragement, giving, serving, submission, and allowing yourself to be served. These are the things you're called to do in support of your pastor. This is a high calling for you too as a church. And like me, twist ending again here uh, this week, you will fail. You won't always do these things well for me. And so I remind myself this morning of the gospel, the good news that I don't have to ultimately locate my self-worth and my value and my effectiveness and my identity in your affirmation of me. Galatians 1.10, that, that I don't have to, you know, if I was seeking still the approval of, of men, I wouldn't have given my heart to Christ. That that's where I need to go for my self-worth, my approval, my affirmation ultimately. But we don't use that as an excuse not to strive to live up to this kind of calling. I'm a, I, I, again, I'll be vulnerable with you all this morning. I need your support. I will need your support tremendously over the next few years. Transitions are, are tough, and uh, pastoring is tough enough without doing it for the first time by yourself. You know, I've got elders. I'm the only full-time pastor on staff. That's tough. So I need your prayer. I need your support in these ways, and I thank you for being a good, faithful church and for doing that for me, and I thank God that even when you fail, he doesn't. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we stand before your high calling, both for me and us as, as pastors and shepherds and elders of your church, but also for the high calling and expectations you place on your church of supporting its pastor this morning. We look at what your word calls us to, and hopefully we have two reactions. Hopefully, hopefully we are sitting here Soaking this in, thinking, amen. I want to I do that. I want to be that for him. I want to strive to be a, a, a good sheep for my under-shepherds. And yet, Father, at the same time, that too can easily become pride, we know. And so, Father, we take a moment here at um, the end of, of this calling, this exhortation this um, vision of what a church should be to just humbly admit that we don't do it. That I haven't personally done it for, for Gary, my lead pastor. That we all fail in many ways to live up to these kind of high callings that your word calls us to. And yet, Father, we are reminded this morning of the gospel that our standing with you does not rely on our ability to perform, to be good enough, to measure up, but that your word tells us when we are faithless, 
you are faithful. Father, we thank you that in our faithfulness, while we were yet sinners, you looked down, you sent your son to die the death that we deserve after living the life that we couldn't and rising in, again in power and new life in order that we might to be redeemed and, and raised to new life, raised from our sins and called, um, called back into right relationship with you. Father, as we prepare our hearts now to celebrate that great truth, that reality at the banquet table, the Lord's Supper, I do pray that um, you would move in our hearts in a spirit of humility to remember that we have no bootstraps. We need you to pull us up and that you've already done it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for his atoning sacrifice in our place, for making a way for sinners like us to be with you again. It's in your name we pray.